BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. It's me, Cameron, here, obviously. I am joined with entrepreneur, podcast host, author, um, wearer of, is a wearer a word? Whatever. Someone who wears many hats, Kate Kennedy. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. I know I just told you this, but for everyone else listening, I first heard about Kate through a podcast that we were both guests on. It's fine. I'm fine. And that same week that your episode released and I listened to it, I also then one of your TikTok videos, I think it was like the the one where you merged your basic entire career into one minute, which is really difficult because I also tried to do it and it was so hard. I felt like I was talking on speed. I was trying to fit everything in. And that came (laughs) up on my For You page. And I was just so amazed by the journey because I find it really interesting. And then I started following you and, you know, listening to your podcast, Be There in Five, and really just amazed by your ability to know all things pop culture. And also you have a very unique way of interacting with your community through your question and answers and just the time you take on your stories. I'm a huge admirer of, so I'm very excited to have you here. Oh, thank you. Um, well also, yeah, we were talking about earlier how I was familiar with you from your TikTok videos and it's like solidarity among millennials because not many of us are like TikTok (laughs) users and proud. Um, I know. And the video you brought up, it was like a bunch of Gen Z commenters being like, sis, take a nap because I said like 12 careers (laughs) in one minute. I appreciate that you like that video because it is a funny forum that's different from other like content feedback forums where you're a little scared sometimes. Oh my God. I, so my TikTok journey is very interesting because I, my younger sister is I think on the verge of Gen Z millennial, I I think she'd rather say she's a young millennial so that she feels cool rather than an old Gen Z so that she feels outdated. And, right. <laughs> and she actually said that. So I feel comfortable saying that. And it's very true. But she once turned to me when TikTok kind of was starting to become popular. And I said, oh my God, should I make a TikTok? And she said, if you make a TikTok, that'll be the end of you. I will steal your phone. And (laughs) she once said to me, the second I start talking to my camera, she's deleting my Instagram. And that when I started is how I've built a freckled food community because I treat it like it's an extension of my therapy sessions. And so then I was like, okay, well, if Lucy's saying I shouldn't do it, that means I probably should. And I downloaded TikTok. (laughs) I had no idea how it worked, but I started a video, like my mom is a diva and just a an absurd human. I love her to death, but she is just one of a kind. And while we were in Florida during quarantine, I joked, oh my gosh, well, what are you going to do when everyone goes back to work? Are you going to be the executive, executive assistant of the house? And so then I... She took it seriously as she does. She goes, she takes everything at 200%. And I posted a video of her that I had taken from my IG stories as a joke and it blew the hell up. So then I kind of like gained this weird TikTok fame over something that like didn't fit my Freckle Foodie brand at all and wasn't really what I had planned on sharing. And now that I felt so paralyzed because I literally overnight gained 70,000 followers because of videos of my mom. And then I felt, well, what the hell am I even supposed to do on this app? I don't know what these people want. I'm so confused. I don't know how to work it. And now I'm just kind of 
totally rolling the dice and treating it like an extension of my Instagram stories and seeing where it goes, which is probably not the right way to do it, but I don't really care at this point. No, I think that's exactly what you should be doing. I, I actually think, you know, data privacy issues aside and stuff, it's like, it's, in being, it's fundamentally different from Instagram. Instagram's, you know, rooted in self promotion. Mm-hmm. TikTok social entertainment. It completely reframes the way you look at your content, the value you're adding, what you're trying to get across, and it's made me so much more creative. And I don't even use it that much. I'm on it more than I make stuff for it. Same. But I've just found, especially during COVID, it was so nice. It was it was re-energizing to think mm-hmm. of content production in a new way. And, um, I think that's what makes it such a great platform in the kind of je ne sais quoi Instagram lost is like, it's too hard to get to start a following on Instagram anymore because your followers become a burden. I don't remember or care who I follow on TikTok and I never unfollow anybody on TikTok. So even if you're never on the following tab, you're always on the for you. I didn't even know the following tab existed until like a month ago. It's brilliant. And that way, whatever catches on, catches on. You get your nest egg of a following. Mm-hmm. And that way you get on more for you pages and build from there. And I just like, I'm so bummed that there's so many issues and it's like at threat because I just truly think the algorithm is a brilliant breath of fresh and I'm going to be upset if it's gone. <laughs> well, what I love about it is that when I scroll through, so I have my freckled foodie Instagram and then I still have my personal Instagram and I only follow friends and family on personal and I only follow food and influencers on freckled foodie just because I don't want things getting lost and I'm rarely on my personal anyway, but I love scrolling on TikTok because I mean, 95% of my For You page are just random Gen Z people who are so funny. I am fascinated by Gen Z. And it's not influencers trying to be these people that they're not. It's just real teenagers. Like People also are so goddamn comfortable on that app. I love that they're just sharing secrets and raw shit that most people would never share with hundreds and thousands of humans. And not in like full glam. Oh my God. Yeah. There's no glam. It's like, well, the Gen Z uniform, it's a very oversized t-shirt, biker shorts, and then weird looking sneakers and a lot of gold jewelry and an iced coffee as like your only meal until dinner. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I I love the natural look. They kind of overrode the Kylie Jenner era of of full lash by noon. And I, (laughs) I just love, um, I know I just, I, I have so much fun on the app in general, but also like I agree with the humor piece. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is so funny. And it's such a different type of humor. And when you kind of dig into people who have analyzed millennial versus Gen Z hu- humor and how theirs is more ironic because they grew up uh, more bitter than hopeful and we grew up hopeful, but now we're bitter. I- I've been reading these really interesting analyses of the why like there's some rifts between the way we communicate. And it's actually a pretty... I don't know. It's pretty interesting and helps me understand them better because up until a few weeks ago, people were pretty hard on Gen Z, but right. now we're reviewing them as like heroes, which they are. Um, but it is kind of funny how the tide turned from like the Visco girl, you yes. know, let's all totally. laugh at them to like now, you know, we're revering them. I mean, they are one of a kind. They, they've they got a force. They're forced to be reckoned with. And what interests me the most about them is their ability to be so in your face, matter of fact, you know, like F off. I mean, just literally in the case of what they did with Trump's rally, that's just one example, but they can't call and order dinner or like schedule a dentist appointment. That's what blows my mind about Gen Z. It's they can do these large matter of fact, put it all out there things, but then they, they are so afraid of the very small task that every other generation doesn't even think about. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, right. They, they, uh, they operate in the, in the hyperbole. They operate like yes. in the extremes, like they're dead or they're dying or they're living. Yeah, you're canceled or you're a queen. Like <laughs> absolutely, e- everything's the, this or that. And I always joke that m- millennials like were like the gray, like everything to us is gray uh, or, mm-hmm. or like in the Pinterest era, grayish. We're kind of like the grayish generation of like, we're this, uh, I think we're just a more like neutral um, population. Definitely. And it is kind of like, or I don't know, at least 
I and the people I grew up with, it was like more of a, a venture to appease than to stand out. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, do what you're told, just nod and say yes. yes. Like ignore the comments. It's fine. And Gen Z is like hell to the fucking no. Right. Um, so I didn't expect us to dive into Gen Z versus millennial, but I love where that went. But <laughs> I do have to ask to kick things off. Um, usually this is in the beginning of the show, but how would you define success? Sorry, I just uh, had to open That's the door okay. because my dog was scratching at it. Uh, <laughs> um, you would think I would have this down better because I have a podcast. Um, it's totally defining fine. success. You know, I'm sure you feel similarly. Like I feel like depending on the day or what I'm doing, I always think about it a little bit differently, and that's almost. Yep. The point, I don't see success as being a destination or kind of like one, you know, monolithic ideal that I'm working toward. I almost, over time, I've kind of thought of it as like success is kind of the uh, ability to quit worrying about arbitrary metrics like success. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. Because the more you are something, the less you have to define it. And I think too, I've had so many jobs and, you know, kind of reinvented myself so many times. I look back on the times I felt successful and like truly at peace. And it's almost like success to me is like having enough of a sample size of like life's ongoing individual successes that are products of not one goal I'm held hostage to, but of my evolved definitions of success over time in different areas. And when I've seen enough upside from my own kind of personal evolution and risk taking to know that success is less of a destination and more of that luxury to keep reinventing yourself, like that's what excites me. I, I never really can think of one thing I want, rather the flexibility to be able to go after what I want when that time comes and hedge my bets mm-hmm. that future me, me knows better than I do now, right? Yes. <laughs> Something I'm always weighing in my mind of like, what? okay, I'll do this now, but like, what is happening in the future with this career? What's, what's you, that next step? You, right. And like you, it's just people torture themselves trying to fit mm-hmm. their careers into these linear models that they just aren't. And, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, you, I guess, have to be okay with the ambiguity. But I, I think too, it's like, you know, personal versus professional is probably different because like defining success in, you know, that my personal life is just like the, it's not popular to associate it with money, but my mark of success would be the ability to A, be generous with the people I love in my life to have great experiences mm-hmm. with them and B, to be close to them, to like fly to them easily, quickly to expensive airports, last minute tickets. Like I don't live near my family. So I so uh, like correlate success with money in terms of money gives you flexibility. Flexibility gives you the ability to still work and live and be around people when you want to. Yep. So I guess that would be the flip side of that since my first answer was a not answer. No. And that's the reason I like this question is because there is no, I mean, obviously there's like a Webster's definition, but I don't think that there's a tangible definition because I do believe it's a process and it varies for so many people and it's ever changing and ever evolving. Because if I were to define success when I first graduated college, it would probably be making X amount of money living here, you know, wherever. And now it's so much more of personal success mentally, but also just comfort and being okay and happy and living in that gray area with confidence and comfort in a way. Um, Comfort's a big one. That's big I'm gonna one. T- I'm going to use that because that that's like the word I'm always looking for that because even when I think about what I spend money on, it's like, I want extra leg room. <laughs> yep. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll want to pay an upcharge to be able to like, uh, you know, drink the water in my hotel room if need be and not panic about mm-hmm. it. Like, I think that the, the, those types of little conveniences and comforts are times when I feel successful and I'm not like crazy nickel and diming and, uh, yes. you know, just always I'm a good big place. comfort person. And that's even when it comes to clothing, like I'll never choose fashion over comfort ever in my life. And Part of me is amazed by people who do, but then I said it to my therapist once. I'm like, I just wish I cared more and looked like other people and, you know, put myself together. She's like, but you make that decision. You actively choose comfort over that. Right. And that's fine. And I agree. Comfort's a big one. Um, So 
I'm so curious how this all started because obviously from your TikTok, I know, and I've done my research, but (laughs) for everyone listening, can you share how your career took a total 180 over a doormat? Yes. So (laughs) I was in a, like a corporate, I was in a, I worked at a Nielsen, a TV ratings company, and I was in like media and advertiser solutions for like six years. And then I was a Six Sigma black belt. I had like the super, super corporate career that I actually quite Mm -hmm. liked. Um, But I'm very forgetful and I'm very type B and I was panicking. I'd I'd leave my curling iron on and burn my apartment down. And I've always been artistic and like, I'll just, I'll just try things and do them on the side. So, you know, my post-its and whatnot weren't working. So one day I kind of looked at a my doormat and doormats traditionally welcome you in your home. But I was like, well, mm-hmm. why shouldn't this see me on my way out? So I painted, turn off your curling iron on a doormat and like put it upside down. So I saw it when I was walking out. It's like, this is kind of funny. Is so smart. First of all, Oh, really thanks. smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like a funny thing that like, even though it's not like the center of my focus anymore, I always want people to like every anything can be innovated is a, a mm-hmm. doormat is literally the metaphor for the thing you walk all over and don't care about like it is the most stale category in the on the planet yes. and to still find innovation in that category um true you, it really exists everywhere and i i get frustrated when people talk about saturation and clutter to an extent because i really do think it's all in how you look at it and um yeah i, I painted like a prototype i put them on etsy I don't know, sat there for a little while, wasn't really that worried about it. One morning I woke up and the like faux stock, I essentially had like a handful in stock that I was going to have to make. I didn't already have them, but I was kind of, you know, minimum viable product model. I just wanted to like test demand. I was sold out of the stock I had. Were you just buying doormats and painting on them? Because like, I'm also thinking logistical. How did you all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Well, right. So it was kind of trial- yeah, it was kind of trial by fire. It almost had to be that way. I think for uh, that's why a lot of businesses approach uh, a lot of startups approach with a more demand driven model where they put in mm-hmm. minimal resources up front because you just it's there's right, no you never there's know. no perfection in the absence of you know marketplace demand. You just don't even know what people want or need. And I had to change it so many times. But when I woke up and they were like sold out, I had all these messages. I was like, what happened? It got hundreds of thousands of likes from like this radio station in Australia overnight and went viral. And then it kind of went from this idea that was like, I don't know. I kind of kept it under the radar to having like the world's most valuable focus group. Cause I was reading thousands and thousands of comments of people like co-signing my idea. And then I feel lucky because that propelled me. I, I think one of the hardest things people face is just trying to, you know, remain self-motivated in the absence of a response and just like hope for the best. Like working for an audience of zero is like, you know, and I've done that plenty of times too with other projects. It's tough, Mm -hmm. but I knew it was something. And um, on nights and weekends, I just like figured it out. I built out a supply chain. I, my mom and I painted the first couple thousand. Um, Then I hired people like contractors off Craigslist, got a small office space, it just like kept evolving over time till about like a, over a year in, I quit my corporate job and my intention at the time was just to get it to a place where it was sustainable. Um, I was just like so exhausted and working too much. And right. I, then I was going to go back, never did, um, not by my own doing, but honestly, I tried at one point, but um, after I left for a couple of years, I kind of became a bit like irrelevant. So I yeah, I, that's when I streamlined a lot of the map business, did all sorts of things. We sold a Nordstrom on Wayfair and tons of boutiques. Like it was such a crazy ride. And then a couple of years in, after I quit my job, I had kind of made myself obsolete. My heart wasn't mm-hmm. totally in it. It's the most impossible. It's so, even though I own the IP for some of the mats, it's just a really difficult product to defend with the its signature thing being ornamental. Uh, people will copy it and undercut it left and right. I don't know. So I kind of, I tried to go back to my corporate job. They wouldn't rehire me, couldn't get rehired anywhere. So I just kind of had to get back to basics and be like, well, okay, I'm self-employed. I'm here. This is the life I chose. Like, how can I pivot and use my gifts in a different way? Doormats aren't my passion. They're just a vehicle that I worked passionately on. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how the, uh, I wrote a book and the podcast came about and, the past few years have been kind of a weird uh, pivot from 
be there in five, the Matt company to like be there in five, the overarching <laughs> brand of all the random crap I feel like doing. <laughs> well, it's so funny because it's, I mean, it's really amazing and incredible, but also so interesting how you took something so seamlessly simple that we all overthink and quite literally overstep, right? Put, put your spin on it. And then it just magically, you know, overnight became, not overnight, but it, when it became a success, you were almost forced into doing something that I'm sure you never saw yourself working no. in like a manufacturing of a sense role. And I can totally understand why something that was a side passion hustle becoming a full-time job then became draining and like, this isn't what I wanted. And I'm even, I've reassessed aspects of my business where I was like, wait a second, how did this become so not fun and something I do not enjoy? And you know, you have to pivot and you have to constantly evolve and reassess your business. But it's just an incredible journey and story of going from that to then completely pivoting and using your platform the way you do now. So now I want to talk a little bit about what Be There in Five is currently. But my main question is how in the world do you know so much about pop culture and stay so up to date? <laughs> so like, it's a, it's a funny thing that I've always, I've always been so engaged with pop culture, like my entire life since I was very young. Um, and I never really thought of it as being this like quality or something I had. I don't, it's just like something you are. And like my, my family and I, we like, we talk a lot about pop culture um, mm-hmm. and we're TV watchers. We're, we're like, we're not active people. Like I'm indoors. <laughs> you always have been. And um, when I was like a kid, I was just like sneaking downstairs and like watching the real world and experiencing life through like different characters and lenses. Mm-hmm. And like, I've, people say TV rots your brain, but I like think it was this really brilliant art form that allowed me to get out of what was a pretty homogenous bubble of my childhood. And like, it introduced me to so many things of like what I wanted my life to be like. It was a big part of like my ability to dream. And like, I, I, I watched so it sounds so insane that like, I'm, I'm kind of glossing over this as if it's a good thing, but like I consumed <laughs> a lot of like media as a kid from like books and movies to music. And I just was kind of quiet and I got lost in a lot of the media I consumed and I was inspired by it. And I've just really always loved it. And um, then kind of, you know, paired with my, more analytic market research job and corporate mm-hmm. experience. I kind of, when I got to be an adult and, you know, had to figure out how to get people to follow me and not the mats on Instagram, I kind of combined those things. I'm like, well, what do, like, what do I, if I could be talking about anything, what would I be talking about right now? And I'm like, right. you know, non like I would be talking about, you know, what's theoretical nonsense yet. I would talk about it in a way that my argument is that these things actually matter. Um, and so many pop culture, um, outlets talk about like what happened, but I always kind of want to talk about like what it means and go a little bit deeper. And it's not for everyone. And it's definitely more verbose and like a different style than a lo- the way a lot of people talk about pop culture, but I genuinely love it and have fun with it. And it's something that will always be changing. And um, I don't know. I just think it's a funny thing where it is like what I do now with like the podcast being like majority of the job, it's like so in line with who I am, but also something Mm -hmm. I would have never known to pursue unless I I had fallen into that position. I mean, if you had told me, I worked in the corporate world for five years, and if you had told me back then that I would be hosting a podcast, I would have laughed in your face. And it's really interesting to reflect on how it makes sense for me. I just never realized it did until I fell into it because when I was a kid, I mean, I, I still, I don't shut up and I just love to talk. And my, I don't know what grade I was in, second or third grade. No, not second. Cause I loved my second grade teachers. A teacher that didn't like me, I think it was third grade. She wrote my report card. If I sat Cammy next to a wall, she would talk to it. And I was like the <laughs> student that had to go. I mean, I had learning disabilities, but I literally had a little card that each teacher had to put a sticker on after every single class. And then I had to bring it to this like advisor after each day to prove that I behaved in school that day. And it was insane. But it was chatty? just because uh, a little, yes, chatty, but also maybe disruptive. 
Um, <laughs> but, be, but because I was chatty, it was because I just didn't want to stop talking. I didn't really care what the teacher was talking about. I wasn't that into school really until like the education aspect of school, honestly, until late high school, really college. And I just wanted to talk with people. I just yeah. love talking. And I said, I've, I've joked a few times, like, if you give me a microphone, I won't shut up. And then I started a podcast. So it does make sense. It's just interesting to reflect on. And I think when it comes to pop culture, I think that there are two types of people. And I'm how what year, if you don't mind me asking, around how old are you? Oh, I don't care. I'm 87. Okay. All right. Well, some people are like, oh, I don't know. Okay. So you're a little bit older than me, but what was the magazine when we were growing up? It was like, Something fourteen or CK, you oh, know what J fourteen, J fourteen, yeah, 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 Bob. So growing up, I definitely was reading those, and I was, I mean, die hard in sync, Britney Spears. Like, I mean, I went, I was obsessed. I still am in love with Justin Timberlake, but I was reading all those. But then I think around high school is when I kind of dropped off the pop culture face, and I now my friends make fun of me because I have no idea who who's name, like anyone's name is when it comes to pop culture. Zero. My friends will constantly joke, does Cam even know who like Kylie Jenner is? Obviously I do. But <laughs> it's so mind-blowing to me when people are so knowledgeable on the topic because it is like, you know, people can sh- call it what it is. Like people might have their own opinions on it, but you know a very large amount of information. And for me, it's really amazing. And I also feel sometimes I'm not like a reality TV person. So oftentimes when I hear recaps of shows, I'm just like, I don't really care. But what draws me to what you're sharing is exactly what you said, where you're like, okay, but I want to talk about why this happened, not just, and here's who's dating who, but how did we get here? That's so nice to hear. Um, that's, I think, the struggle of any, anytime you go broad, I mean, you get it with, you know, wellness, mm-hmm. nutrition, like, there's so many areas of focus and there's so many areas people aren't going to care about, but you have to almost find that um, like that the center of intrigue of like why this, even if it's not your thing and you don't have affinity toward it, here's why you have to acknowledge it matters or mm-hmm. it matters to somebody else. I think we're very quick to trivialize the things other people like that we don't. Yes. And my thing's always just kind of like, well, no, here's why it's valid. Here's why it's interesting. Here's why you may misunderstand it. And even if you don't like it, at least you get why it's being talked about in a way that you don't resent. Um, mm-hmm. Because, well, like, I mean, similarly, I like health and nutrition, like the, th- that, those are my blind spots. Like I, I think what we have natural interests in, we're, we just act as a sponge for, and what we don't have interest in, we just like, don't eat, it's like, it doesn't exist, you, you know? It's, it's not like, like listening. Sorry, I keep going. Yeah. Oh, no, it's like not like a strength or weakness so much as like if somebody's talking about like, you know, going hiking, I do not hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, well, you didn't speak. No, but it's, <laughs> it's comparable to listening to my husband rattle off these sports statistics that are, I mean, I always yes. am fascinated by how much information is in his brain in terms of sports. I just don't understand how he retains that much information. And it's the same thing. It's because he loves it so much that it sticks. And it's how I feel about certain things. And I'm curious, and I actually joke, he knows more about pop culture than I do because every once in a while he'll pull out these comments where I'm like, why do you know who these, how and why do you know who these people are? Because you're not (laughs) even on social media. So I don't understand. Um, But what are some pop culture news current right now. Well, the episode will release, I think, in like three-ish weeks from when we're recording. But what's like a big headline right now that I should probably know about? I mean, like, I actually haven't checked in a couple hours, but like, as of today, like we, they still haven't found Naya Rivera. Do you know who that is? Okay. So again, Joe told me this this morning. It's um, kind of crazy. So yeah, she was a star of Glee. She was on like 115 episodes. I she loved her. character, Santana. Mm-hmm. Um, and she went to, uh, she, she took a pontoon boat out on a lake in, in California with her four-year-old son. The authorities were called, you know, yesterday afternoon because somebody saw them 
saw the boy sleeping on in a boat by himself and they still haven't found her. And there's like a very confusing interview. He's a four-year-old, right? Like it's hard to, you know, get a clear story, I'm sure. But right. I've, I've read that he said that she got out of the boat and then never came back on the boat or they were both out of the boat and then he got back on and she didn't. But the whole thing just, it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense. Like I'm not a mom, but like, and I don't know a th- anything about boats, but even in, in my Facebook group, people are like, this is not a boat you would take out solo with a young kid. You wouldn't get out of the boat by yourself and like mm-hmm. leave the kid on the boat. The whole thing's confusing. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's expe- especially sad because Glee, this, you know, they're, they, she's, as of now, not confirmed, but presumed dead, which is so incredibly sad. It's the third so sad. lead cast member who will have died before what the age of like 35. Oh um, my gosh. I forgot because of about, Corey Monteith, yeah. Mark selling though. We don't, I mean, he, he's, he was disgusting and like had, he was like allegedly evading um, his sentencing. Uh, but, and then, yeah, Naya, it's just, yeah. So anyways, I'm very captivated by that story right now, just because we know so little and i think it's just one mm-hmm. of those things where it's like you just kind of assume you know if you if you can swim you're on a fairly calm lake you kind of like go right. through like all these scenarios like what would happen um especially for her to part with her son and it's just yeah it's really it's it's sad so hopefully in three weeks we'll know what actually went on so this might not be relevant but i hope so. it's not every day you have such like a mystery no, I agree. That that one I didn't know about. The other one I feel like that's very popular right now is the TikTok drama of the Hype House. Yeah, it's so <laughs> funny because it's like not even – it is – it's drama because they made it drama, but like so literally absurd. Pe- two people kissed each other that were single, but they used to date people roughly in the same circle. And it's this like – it's it's just – it's honestly like high school being lived out on Twitter and TikTok. To, to 60 million of Charlie D'Amelio's followers. So that's what blows my mind about where TikTok is right now and where it's going. And honestly, the business that we're in and just the reality of social media right now is I would love to just fast forward 15, 20 years and see how this all plays out. Because right. I cannot, I mean, even now I'm 20, almost 29 and I would like to think I have thick skin and a strong backbone and, you know, whatever. But even when I get some hate messages, I'm like, oh my God, that hurts. And I can't imagine in such formative years being such a skeptical of everyone, like everyone just has access to say whatever the hell they want. And that's where I just can't fathom being young and having social media and then having a platform like they do. Oh, truly. I I really think that it's got to be a special form of torture. I genuinely don't even think until I was in my very late 20s, early 30s, I, you know, kind of adapted the mentality of like, this is who I am. I'm not changing. Like, I don't really care as much what other people think of me. Like, it takes a lot to get comfortable in your own skin, because I think it takes a lot of trial and error and life experience to, you know, I, I, I don't think everybody's like completely confident at the onset. And I certainly wasn't. And I think about how bad like FOMO was when your friends were doing stuff without you in high school and you had to hear about it after. Now you see it in real time. Real time. Like, and then another thing I was reading about Gen Z that I thought was interesting is uh, in terms of them, you know, a lot of them having a more empathetic disposition. um, It kind of does track though, when you think about the the types of emotional trauma they're so easily exposed to constantly Mm -hmm. and they see other people exposed to. And I think that the ability to be emotionally affected is so much easier and deeper now that I almost wonder if people are developing or, or, you know, exercising an empathetic muscle that you might not until you're older, because I, I feel like I got so much more empathetic with age because you just meet, you know, you meet people and you realize you thought about things incorrectly because once you you know, know somebody that's been through something, it completely flips on its head. And I think that through social media in a weird way, the one maybe upside is having visibility into literally people all over the world all the time, like sharing their truth. And like, I think there is a level two of exposure to like people's struggle that is probably a good thing. But I imagine the torture of like, you're, you know, if you're not Charlie D'Amelio, you're, you know, your average high school (laughs) student, it's like, 
I, I would, you'd read into every comment. I always see how people like, um, read so much into people's snap scores, which I'm not a big Snapchat. I don't even understand that. But apparently it's like, that's how you can tell somebody sending somebody else snaps like at night. (laughs) Oh my like gosh. that is so stressful. <laughs> also, I saw a TikTok that was like, I'm a different type of psycho because I go on my Instagram on my desktop to look at who my ex follows because that shows in chronological order so I can see how often he's, fo- I'm like, oh, I can't, I cannot handle, I just can't imagine any of this. And like you were saying, I get pretty bad FOMO, but you know, you didn't find out that people were hanging out without you until like you maybe heard about it on Monday at school or a Facebook album posted a week later. Now it's like that second, you know, and when it comes to empathy, I, I mean, I've grown a lot as a human, but empathy is probably the number one thing I've grown the most in because as a kid, I was very much like, and I still have this somewhat trait where, you know, I really, I feel very strongly. My dad said it great in our wedding speech. He was like, Cammie loves really hard and she doesn't like really hard. And and it's true. And I think I was very quick to judge as a kid, especially. And I can't imagine what unfortunate things would have happened had social media been as present as it is right now. Right. It it could go kind of go either way. And I'm sure there's an evolution of like, you figure it out eventually, but especially when you're that young with that much access to what is essentially immortalized communication by the internet. (laughs) Um, You know, that's like so crazy. You you really don't think about it. I mean, when I got to college, that's when people just started like uploading photos Mm -hmm. to Facebook. And it was a case where it wasn't curated. It was, you plug in your point and shoot and you oh upload every single photo, this. even the butt pocket photos. Even you never even looked at them. No. We had a friend um, whose like, mom gave him a digital camera for his Christmas present, I think, in college. And he made it his mission to take like basically 100 photos every single night of college, oh every party. And he would upload them. And we were friends and he would jokingly like take the most horrendous photos of me, but there was never looking at them. It was just plug it in, upload all and hit go. And it's insane. My friends and I have talked about that. Insane to compare what we used to share on social media to what kids in college now are curating and face tuning and Photoshopping and posing to get the one perfect image to post on their feed. It's just so different. And I would, I feel like I would have missed out on my life. Like, doing that because even um I don't know like I I kind it's kind of nice to have grown up not worrying like you worry about your appearance in your own way but like being you know creating content now it takes a really long time to like take a good photo and find the right one and filter it and crop it and caption it and da, da, da. and um mm-hmm. and the fact that like average like you know anybody does that now whether you're running like a brand or a persona or not like yeah, it it just, it would be a little bit too much. And even like I was in a sorority and I look at like the membership video and stuff now and I'm just like, oh is, God, is this same. Coachella or Virginia Tech? Like, what is this? Like, I don't even recognize the place I went. I, I just, I, I, these are women like, you know, 15 years younger than me and I'm like intimidated by them. My younger sister is five years younger than me and we went to the same college and we were in the same sorority. And so I had very firsthand experience of watching our sorority change through her lens. And when I would see photos of like what they would wear to bid day or date parties or formals or just parties, like I played lacrosse in college and I would show up some nights to a party still in my turfs and my lacrosse gear. And we would just go straight from there without showering because we were like, what does it fucking matter? Now, literally some of the girls that are going to these parties look like me on like the best night of the year. So it blows my mind. Where'd you go to school? It really blows my mind. Lafayette, a small school in Pennsylvania. What sorority were you in? Kappa Kappa Gamma. Oh, I'm always just so curious because it's utterly meaningless because every school is so different. Kappa Delta. But in okay, the event didn't have that. you're in the same one and, you know, we can like talk creepy 1800s right. ritual. I just, I, I, the, the comedy away. I find in sororities being removed from it of being like a so s- funny. super controlling society that has no bearing on your life. But at the time you think it's like the freaking FBI. 
oh my God, it's everything. I think about this all the time. And when my younger sister was going through it and she would be texting me things like, oh my God, this sorority did this. I'm like, I'm not trying to down talk down to you because I felt the exact same way when I was in your shoes, but I'm telling you this shit does not matter. And like the countless fights we would get over because DG did something. Like, it's just so stupid to think about. Oh, it really, it really is. And like, I mean, yeah, our standards boards, they were, they were so controlling. I did a whole podcast episode where I crowdsourced people's crazy sorority stories. And I've never laughed so hard because it's just a bunch of people on full on power trips, oh my um, God, yes. making you think, you know, they determine your future. And it's like, you know, everything's from like you, you if you're going to drink a beer, you know, it has to be a bottle and not a can. You can't, you know, dance on elevated surfaces above a certain level, blah, blah, blah. It's just so it's like telling you that we did not have those. Oh my God. Everyone we had. So we, we, we danced on many elevated surfaces. Oh, we'd get like whack-a-mold off of. (laughs) Well, did you have like a house mom? No, like not even. It was just like the VP of standards who was like in charge of your image, which is just such a funny, arbitrary thing thing anyway. <laughs> no, it is. I would say ours was m- probably more like a fr- fraternity than it was a sorority. I do think it's changed over the years as generations have evolved into people who care more. But as a whole, Lafayette is so small that Greek life, I mean, like technically it was a dorm that they turned into a sorority house. Like it wasn't like what most schools envision Greek life as. So I don't think our, sta- I don't even know who our standards person was, but I definitely know they weren't shelling out rules like that, but there was definite power trips. I mean, myself included, I was pledge master. So like power trips. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's the ultimate power trip. (laughs) I know the (laughs) ultimate power trip. It's just so, it's really interesting to reflect back on. And I feel like I need to do a podcast episode on it. Honestly, I haven't talked much about it, except I do love when I have guests on and we kind of discuss it. And one of them happened to be a Kappa, Kappa Kappa Gamma. And I was like, oh my God, sister. Right. And you kind of like snap back into it. And I like, totally. I think those are the facets of life, like to, cause I say the podcast is pop culture, but it's kind of like anything within like the millennial ethos that's like experiential and funny. And I see a lot of comedy in or a lot of depth in that aren't like talked about in mainstream outlets, but like, it's really funny to talk about like being a bridesmaid. It's funny to talk about your experience in mm-hmm. youth groups, in sororities. Like I love to kind of pick these, um, phases of life that are such microcosms or that you take so seriously or somebody does at least and then take a step back and like find the humor in it because I I, I don't know I think that we all uh, do things in such patterns and so often everybody hates it but nobody's you know like being a bridesmaid is yes. not great you know like I love oh my, my God, friends but like I don't need another floral robe like mm-hmm. I just want to have fun with my husband <laughs> yeah um yeah, but you know, we, you, you show up, you do the whole song and dance, you complain about it on the side. And um, I don't know, I just th- think things like that are funny where we can all kind of relate better as strangers, <clears throat> because those aren't the things you actually say to your friends, but we all feel because it would offend your friends. So I do it on my right. podcast. <clears throat> and even as I mean, I've actually only been a brides. I'm in like the early stages of friends getting married and I've technically only been a bridesmaid for my older sister and she didn't really have bridesmaids. It was just like me and my younger sister and we just got ready with her that day and kind of planned her bachelorette, but it was like at my parents' beach house. She, It was very easy. But even me, like it's so interesting because even though you know notoriously everyone hates being a bridesmaid, you still as a bride put them in these positions even though oh, you yeah. made it yourself. It's so interesting. I think another dichotomy <laughs> yeah, on that list is college athletes. And I have an episode coming out soon that kind of talks more about that. But it's it's this thing that we're also, when you are a college athlete, you're kind of just, you accept this absurdity of your life and scheduling and commitments and, and rules and just all of this. And you kind of just accept, open it, like you kind of just accept it with open arms and just as you think, okay, well, this is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. And then when you graduate, you reflect back, like, what the hell was that? That was pretty insane when I reflect back on it. Well, oh, totally. Serious sports in general, like I, I was in high school, I was like a serious volleyball player, which like sounds so silly, but um, I, I like missed dances and traveled all the time. And I'm like, well, A, what was that for? B, like how, what, 
on what planet was I so willing to not only do all that work for free, but like mm-hmm. to be like, <laughs> you know, it's one thing if you get a scholarship, but it is kind of funny to think that when you're younger, you have these like blind commitments to things and you have to be there just because you have to be there and do things just because people say you have to do them. Now I wouldn't waste my time like for something that I wasn't like getting paid or getting some certain value out of, but to torture myself with two a days for years and something I was like debatably not wanting to be doing is like so funny to me. It's wild. I reflect back on a lot of my childhood when it came to when it came to sports as one of three girls who all played sports and all ended up playing in college. We like never had family dinners. We were always driving everywhere. I mean, my soccer tournaments, we used to go to California and eat over Thanksgiving and eat Thanksgiving in our hotel lobby with the team. Right. Like it's so <laughs> like what weird. was it for? <laughs> right. And I didn't play soccer in college. So like, really, what was that for? It, it's all so insane to me. Um, but another question I'm curious is what is your favorite characteristic about yourself? Um I think that, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you feel this way about yourself too, or you wouldn't do what you do, but like, I do feel like I can formulate thoughts into sentences. Well, like, I feel like I can where, uh, you know, I think it's not that I'm good at talking. It's that I think that I, I appreciate the level of detail and thought I put into like the way I explain things, I guess. And that's the whole reason I have the, podcast but I guess I, over time I just noticed that like I don't know why I, when people are able to skim like I'm just always excavating and I don't even mean to and that mm-hmm. used to always bother me because I was so uh, you know over th- I was I overthought so, too much throughout my life that wasn't to my benefit but it's a very empowering experience when your you know downfall becomes a gift in some format definitely and I will say that I love your style of talking, if that makes sense. Your annotations, is that the right word? I find it very soothing. I don't know. It's weird (laughs) for me to say that, but I do. (laughs) A lot of people say they fall asleep to me and I honestly am not mad at that. (laughs) Um, Because I'm like, even if the content is boring, I don't, there's worse things to be than like a dulcet, soothing tone that makes people comfortable. Like you're talking about with comfort. Like it's, that's a nice thing um, to hear. And I kind of love that. Absolutely. It is very soothing. And then to wrap things up, I know we haven't talked about food whatsoever, but I do close with a food question. What would be the way to your heart through food, the top three ways to your heart through food? So it can be as generic or specific as you would like. I know that's a really weird question and I can elaborate on it if you need me to. I love different questions. Um, I love like I'm guesting on podcasts is so much more fun than hosting them. <laughs> so much more fun. I love it. It's just like, yeah, I'm just like chilling um, and mm-hmm. getting to access different parts of my brain. Cause I don't think or talk about, like I don't talk about food ever um, on mm-hmm. my podcast, not on purpose, but um, I mean, I have like a theory in life. Like it's, I just, I cannot think of a single bad time I've had over like bottomless chips and margaritas. Like I think it's hard to be mad at a person across from you if you have bottomless chips and salsa Mm -hmm. and you're just like drinking a margarita the size of your face. Like I love like foods. I love to go out to eat and not interactive food, but like there's certain genres of food that just make me feel warm inside and make me feel a little bit more connected to a person than like obsessively scanning over a menu, stressing about price. So like, I love a casual Mexican joint. Mm-hmm. Um, that is probably like my number one love language is uh, like on Valentine's day. That's what my husband and I do. Um, and <laughs> I it's love like, that. I, I always look forward to it. And uh, I also, I'm like a big grazer and I, I got married in Italy. Like I love the entire like aperitif vibe of like drinks mm-hmm. and like meats, cheeses, parm wheel snacking this that that makes me feel happy inside just like I love a variety of things that you can like slowly get full on while having like red wine in your veins that makes me really the best (laughs) Um, and I also am just like a huge huge fan of a chicken nugget like nothing (laughs) soothes my soul like a a chicken nugget or a chicken tender with like ranch or honey or like whatever. Mm -hmm. That's like my, you know, it's my hangover food. It's my upset food. It's my congratulatory food. (laughs) (laughs) 
I really love that. I haven't had a good chicken nugget in a long time. Do you ever feel like you, when you are seeking comfort or peace, you regress to like childhood foods? Like sometimes I really want a buttered noodle. Yes. So that's interesting you say that because that's kind of where this question evolved from. I love when I meet people, I'm very inquisitive. I want to like ask them 10,000 questions and I I just want to get to know them. I want to know where they're from. I want to know what they're doing. I want to know who they know. Do we have any connections? Like I love to make, I'm that person that's like, oh, where'd you go to school? Oh, do you know this person? And people get so annoyed. But when you make the connection, it's amazing. And this is a question I used to ask people all the time. What would be the three ways to your heart through food? And I used to do it whenever, I mean, not like the first question I met someone, but like slowly in the conversation. And at work, I would ask everyone. And I love that it all, it brings us all back for the most part to our childhood. At least one of the answers normally does. And I had a guest on who put it perfectly. She's like, it hits me in my kid's spot. And that's exactly what I'm trying to get to. It's for me, it's ice cream. Like that for me is I feel like a child again. And it's my favorite food and it always will be because it makes me so motherfucking happy. And it's the kid's spot. There's no better way to say it than that. Oh, you're totally right. I love that. And like you see those trends too. And like, depending on where you are in life, even like with COVID, like I'm all this, I'm like eating like cereal, like like sugar cereal with Wait, milk. I am in a very big cereal kick right now. It's so, so, so comforting. I get it. I think that things like that make me get out of bed when sometimes it's a little hard to, mm-hmm. but like, I've just had like a heaping bowl of like fruity pebbles this morning, like no <laughs> nutritional value. Like it's ridiculous, but I, I like was so at peace. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting thing with the kids spot that I think now being like a little bit more of an anxious time, I think my habits are they're not great, but I think that we do these things subconsciously because like, that's how important, yeah, how we feed ourselves is. (laughs) Absolutely. We all want comfort and food is a great comfort. So for everyone listening, where is the best place for them to follow along and keep up with everything you're doing? So on Instagram, I'm at be there in five, F-I-V-E, not the number five, pending TikToks, uh, <laughs> cancellation yeah. of the U.S. You can find me there too. Same username. Podcast is called Be There in Five. My book is Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. And yeah, I'm around. It'll all be in the show My notes. My name's Kate Kennedy, but uh, Be There in Five is usually what it's under. It's like me. My friends joke that Freckles Foodie is my alternate ego. They're like, oh, well, you know, Freckle Foodie did this. I'm like, I know what she did because that's actually me. They're like, I, I, you know. (laughs) You do like, I'm like, you do. You it's never so you don't say your me. own name that much on your own platforms, right? Because you feel like you don't right. need to, but then you realize no one knows your name. <laughs> happens to me I all know. the time. People and I get a <laughs> Oh, that makes sense. Um, well, thank you so much for being on. This was so much fun. For everyone listening, definitely go check out all of her stuff. It'll be in the show notes and review, rate, do all those amazing things. Go listen to her episodes, do the same thing. I love you all and thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I thoroughly hope you enjoyed it. If you could be so kind, I would greatly appreciate a rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. Currently, this one's available on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please subscribe to make sure you're up to date with new episodes coming at you every Friday morning. If once a week isn't enough of me, please follow along on my most active social channel, Instagram. Find me, my unedited videos, recipes, random rants, and info for all my other social channels on there, at Freckled Foodie.